John chapter 4 tonight. Finally got out of John chapter 3. So, last week we looked at the last words that... Two weeks ago we looked at the last words that Christ said of Nicodemus and then we got reintroduced to John the Baptist. Tonight we're going to look at um, something that's a little odd in this beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, but something that should be a blessing to all of us. So, John chapter 4 and verse number 1. And the Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied, with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and, the, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Again, we thank you for the glorious opportunity that you've given us today. Not only, Lord, the opportunity to gather in your house and to hear your word and to have it mold us and shape us, 
but Lord, the opportunity to go down to the park and share that word with the world. Lord, I pray that uh, through those tracks that were handed out, through the crafts that were done, and uh, the conversations that were had, Lord, I pray that honor was brought to you. But Lord, most of all, I pray that your word would not go out void, that it would not that it would re- go out and return and bear fruit. Lord, that uh, someone would read that track and come visit and come to know you as Savior so that, Lord, we can be a fruitful church. Lord, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts, that your truth would mold us and shape us into the men and women that you'd have us to be. I pray that as we look at uh, this conversation that Jesus is having, that we would see ourselves in the place of this woman and we would understand just how fortunate we are. So God, please guide and direct today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Jesus has now uh, been teaching and baptizing in Judah in Judea. And the first verse is just is interesting to me. I, I don't know why it sticks out, but when the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. Isn't that the way our world is? We make everything into a competition. Even today, down at, down at the park, and we're, we're trying to uh, slay Goliath, just trying to get people to come and, and speak to us. And, but it seems like the easiest thing for us to do is to pit people against each other. Oh, if grandpa can do it, surely grand, you know, the grandchild can do it. If brother can do it, surely the sister can do it. You know, it, it, it's easy for us. That, that's what we desire. We desire competition. So these two verses here, it, it's just completely interesting to me because Jesus cared nothing about competition. John the Baptist cared nothing about competition. The Pharisees and, and the Sadducees are making a competition out of one that was never there. I mean, we had just seen where John says, I must decrease and he must increase. And Jesus could care, couldn't care less about how many disciples he made or how many people were baptized. He cared only about bringing people to the Lord. But because of all of this, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I'm sure, are starting to get into an uproar. That's usually what makes Jesus change his path, change his pattern. He, he goes and stirs the hornet's nest, and then he moves to the next city and stirs the hornet's nest. Christ was really good at that. But he's on his way back to Galilee, back to his home. And because of that, where he is, he has to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria is full of Samaritans. That's why it's called Samaria. But who are the Samaritans? Does anybody know who the Samaritans were? Abby? Yep. And do you know why? Close. Close. That's partly right. The Samaritans were a group of people that were part Jew and part something else. They originated during the time of the Assyrian captivity. Jonah, Nineveh, 
and they still exist today. They were there because when the, when the Assyrians came in and took Israel captive, they took a bunch of people out of the lands. And so that the land wouldn't become desolate, they put their own people back in the land. And with the non-desirable Jews. Now, generally, when an army would come in, when a king would come in, like the king of Babylon... Uh, when he came in, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and he took captive Israel, he took all of the Jews with potential and put them in prison to make them serve him. That's where we get uh, Daniel and uh, uh, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were men that were uh, had potential. They, they were men that had education. And they left all of the non-educated, the people with lower potential in the land. So Assyria had come in and now they've taken and they've sent their people back. And we find this in, in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 17. But Assyria has, has sent their own people back and the Jews began to intermarry. And to um, mix. And Abby is partially right because the reason the Assyrians took them captive was because of the time of the judges, because of the time of Joshua, because Israel was not obeying God and this was a punishment to Israel. So 2 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse number 24. And the Bible says, And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, and from Chutha, and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from uh, Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria, instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria, and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of God of the land, the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. It's interesting to me that they're confining God to a geographic area. That he is the God of that land when he is the God of the whole world, the whole universe. He is the creator of all. But that, that is how the rest of the world saw it. They saw, oh, we have this God that takes care of us during harvest and during these things, and we have this God that does these things. They, they put all of their little G idols in boxes, and they bend them and twist them to their own will. They can't do that with God. They try, but they can't do that with God. Back to verse number 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own, and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Succoth Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the 
Avites made Nib Nibhez and Tartak, and the Sepharites burnt their children in fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, Ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall ye fear, and him shall ye worship, and to him shall ye do sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, ye shall observe to do forevermore, and ye shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, ye shall not forget, neither shall ye fear other gods. But the Lord your God ye shall fear, and he shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Verse number 40, Howbeit they did not hearken, but they did after their form their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they unto this day. These were the Samaritans. These were Jews who had married outside of Israel and now had a mixture of religion. They they had a form of godliness but lacked the power thereof, much like today. They claimed to worship the one true God, but still served their idols. Now we need to understand that most Jews hated the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with them. They, in fact, on, from going from Judea to Galilee, would go around Samaria. They would detour. Going through Samaria was the most direct route. But they would make a massive detour to go around Samaria so they didn't even have to look at the Samaritans. It's no coincidence that Jesus chose to leave Judea and head to Galilee and go the shortest route possible. Jesus never does anything by chance. There's no coincidence there. God never does anything in our lives by chance. Everybody that we talked to today was there for a reason. And it wasn't just for the market and the park. We talk to them today because God wants them inside of our circle of influence. God wants to show them genuine Christians who love the Lord and want to serve Him and care about them. The next thing we see as we go through our text is we see that uh, Jesus went and sat on a well. Nothing odd here. Christ got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He was human. The odd thing is, is that this is Jacob's well. You see, Samaria was not its own place. 
Samaria belonged to Israel. Samaria was promised way back with Abraham and Isaac to Israel. But because of their disobedience, God had allowed them to be taken captive and allowed that land to be removed from them. This is part of the promised land. This land had either not been secured by Joshua or when Joshua brought the Israelites in to claim their promise or it had been relinquished during many of the captivities. And it's this land that is still disputed over today. Much of this land. There's a small group uh, that claim to be Samaritans uh, that live on the north the northwestern bank. So of the Jordan River, uh, where Israel is, you have the northern bank, or the, the, the eastern bank and the western bank. The Samaritans live on the, nor- on the northwestern uh, side of that. This well is a vital part. I, I have a feeling that many of the young people here, I, I know my children have seen a well, but they might not remember actually using it. We had one in southern Iowa at the house in Creston that still had uh, the hand pump that you could pump water out of. They've never seen one that you had to actually drop a bucket into. But this was a vital part. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They couldn't just go to the tap and get water. They had to walk and draw water and carry it. So these things, these chores were done Uh, especially with a city like uh, Sychar, these chores were done together. The whole community would go out, they would plan, and they would go out at the same time, and they would all draw water so they could all help help each other. And then they would draw for the sheep and for the cattle, and then draw for themselves and carry it home. But, so this well was was a vital part of the community. It was a meeting place. People gathered, and when they gather to work, they gather to talk. They gather to fellowship. But this is an odd time. Normally, this would be done in the, the cool of the morning, right around dawn, when before the sun had gotten high and gotten hot, or, again, very in the late evening as the sun was going down, because those were the cooler parts of the day. Because I don't know about you, I don't like to sweat. While I don't mind if I'm working and I have to sweat, it's okay. But uh, even today, going down to the park, I had to stop and get in the shade a little bit. Uh, I was getting a little hot. And it wasn't very warm. It wasn't extremely hot today. But Jesus is sitting on the well at the sixth hour. Now we have to remember, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day started at dawn. And the daylight ended in the evening when the third star appeared. So when they, when they could spot three stars in the sky, that was considered night. And they would divide that time into 12 hours. So it's not like it's 6 o'clock every day here. We, we all get up at the same time. It's This is the sixth hour of the day. They would follow a sundial. The sun, depending on where the sun was at, it cast a shadow in a certain place. Well, the sixth hour of the day is the middle of the day. This is high noon. This is when the sun is directly overhead. Now, these wells were not under a tree. They were out in the open. They, 
most of the time they didn't have a cover over them. They were just out there. They would put a rock on top of it so nothing would fall into the well and get trapped. So they would come out and they would move the stone in the morning and get the water and they would put it back and they would move the stone in the evening and get the water and put it back. But this is the middle of the day. The middle of the day and this woman is coming out to draw water from the well. Now that should tell you something about her. One, it either tells you that she's a really she's really bad at planning. And she planned to do the hardest work in the middle of the day. Or two, it tells you that she didn't want to be around other people. There was something about her that made her want to avoid everyone. So she sacrificed her own comfort and went at the hottest part of the day to do this chore so she could avoid everyone else. But guess who's waiting for her? Jesus is right there waiting for her. The Samaritan woman comes to the well in the heat of the day to draw water. And he says, give me to drink. Now, when I read this, uh, when I first started reading this, this sounds like a very gruff, rude demand. I hear a kid yelling, and it's not one of ours. Sorry. Uh, this sounds like a very gruff, rude demand. It sounds like Josiah coming into the kitchen and going, Give me a drink! If he did that here, he would be in trouble. He, he would probably be sent to bed without anything. But, or worse. But anyway, this is not what it sounds like. Jesus uh, is not having a rude and disrespectful interaction with this woman. This woman is used to Jews being disrespectful. She's used to people hating her when she comes into contact with them. Christ's interaction with her is nothing but loving and caring. He just simply comes to the point and says, give me some water to drink. And she goes on to question why he would even interact with her. It's because he's a Jew. She recognizes him as a Jew. Whether it's the way he dressed, whether it's the way he spoke, something in him, she recognized him as a Jew. And she understood her place as a Samaritan and they didn't mix. And he says to her in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him and he would have given thee living water. Such a weird comment. But he's pointing out that she knows and understands about God. Because remember, the, the Samaritans are part Jew. They know who God is, who the Lord is. But they are worshiping idols instead of the one true God. So he's pointing out, if you truly knew who God was, then you would know who I am and you would be asking me for living water. For life. He goes on 
to explain that the water that she would draw will make men thirst again, but the water that he would give is living water unto eternal life. He is teaching her about salvation through something as simple as water. He's teaching this to a Samaritan woman, to essentially a Gentile. Probably my most, the most interesting part of all of this comes um, at the end in verse number 26. Sorry, in, ver- in verse number 25. The woman, understanding prophecy, some prophecy, understands that in verse number 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he was, when he... When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus just did something that he has not ever done before. He has come right out and said, I am the Messiah. Up to this point, his disciples those that John the Baptist had sent, those that he had called, have assumed he's the Messiah. He's never come out and said, I am the Messiah. He said, I am the Son of God. He's, he's claimed to be God, but he's never said, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you are looking for. And here he reveals this very simple truth, again, to a Gentile, to an outsider. Because... From the very beginning, it wasn't about whether they were Jewish or not. Even way back with Abraham, we talked about it this morning, even way back with Abraham, it wasn't just because God liked Abraham and wanted to make him his child. It's because God saw something in Abraham that would show God's honor and glory to the world. But Israel has failed to be that light. This woman is is seeking. She's thirsty for knowledge. In verse number 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She wants to know the truth, how to truly worship God. And to start with where to worship God. But Jesus Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Christ is foreshadowing the shift. He's foreshadowing his death, burial, and resurrection. The shift of God's focus from Israel to the rest of the world. He's telling of today. Today we don't go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. We don't go to the mountains to worship God. We worship God in our 
hearts in ourselves because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We worship God in, in churches that we've built for Him to honor and glorify Him all over the world. We have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Our spirit, the spirit that He quickened in us, that He made alive, is what has to worship God. You see, the rest of the religions, even this Samaritan woman's religion, who knows who God is, are worshiping Him in the flesh. If they worship the living God, the creator of the world, they're worshiping Him in the flesh. Because they have not obeyed His command for salvation. And they cannot worship Him in the Spirit. We're going to get in a little farther in this story uh, next week when we talk about the husbands and, and this woman's witness, but we're going to see a dramatic change here. The disciples, they've gone off to buy meat and they've missed the majority of this. They're going to come back here in a little bit. But Christ, for the first time, reveals himself as the Messiah to a Gentile. The story is uh, far from over. Like I said, we'll look at the rest of it next week. But it's clear that from the beginning, Christ was concerned about the Gentiles as well as the Jews. It was no coincidence that he was at this well at this time. He traveled there just for her. He died for her. He made an extraordinary effort just for her, but also for all of us. We talked this morning uh, that all he asks is for what he paid for. And he paid for us, and he paid for all of us. We also talked this, this morning about the storms in our life as we look at Jonah and as we look at the book of Judges and, and the ways that God comes in and rebukes us and corrects us. But also the fact that sometimes the storm is not about us. I go back to um, when Rachel and I and the kids were traveling through Tennessee in our, on our longest day. Uh, the longest 600 miles we've ever traveled. And I remember as I'm driving down the interstate and I look back and my rear wheel on my truck is going like this. And the first thought in my mind is if that comes off, this truck jackknifes, the trailer rolls us over and runs over the top of us, and we all die as I'm going 70 miles an hour down the interstate. And I didn't have time to really pray. But my heart said, Lord, please just get us stopped. And we look up, and there's an exit. And I get safely off on the exit and get stopped no catastrophe. The wheel's still attached to the truck. I don't have to go search for it. Do you remember the first thing I said? No. I remember I got stopped. And I'm thinking and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to process what's just happened. I said, well, the Lord wants us here for a reason. 
don't know where it came from. Ten years ago, I'd have been a completely different person. I would have been mad. I'd have been a mess. But I knew the Lord had us there for a reason. Got out my phone, started looking up towing companies. Of course, it's Labor Day weekend. It's the Saturday of Labor Day weekend in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, on the interstate. So I call the first one that shows up. The guy answers the phone. And he says, yeah, I think I've got a guy that can come do that. So he takes my number. He calls his guy. His guy calls me back and says, explain to me what's going on. So I tell him what's going on. And the guy said, my boss is an idiot. Literally. He said, he's an idiot. I don't know what he thinks I can do. One, I work on semis. I don't work on pickups. And two, you have to remove the rear axle out of the actual shaft and take the hub off in order to get the studs replaced. I said, yeah, that's typically how you'd have to do it. So he calls his boss back and tells him he's an idiot. I'm not kidding. He calls his boss back and tells him he's an idiot. His boss calls me and apologizes and said, well, I've got this other guy that I use sometimes. Let me try him. So he tries him. And the guy calls me back and he says, okay, explain to me what's going on. He says, all right. And this is like six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. He's like, okay. He said, I can be there in about 45 minutes. He said, uh, I think I have all the parts sitting on the bench in my shop that I just took out of another truck. He's like, let me, let me look and, and see. We had no conversation about money. None whatsoever. So I said, do you want the trailer? Do you want me to unhook the truck from the trailer? Do you want me, what do you want me to do? He said, well, if you can get the truck unhooked, then my jack can lift it and we can, we can see what we can do. I said, okay. So we got out, set up the trailer, unhooked the truck, pulled our lawn chairs out, and we're sitting in the ditch on the shoulder, counting the FedEx trucks to drive by. This little stupid game we picked up from this family in Texas. And he pulls up. And he's driving an old, beat-up F-350 that's about four different colors. Basically, that same truck, except the older body style. Same motor, everything, just the older body style. And it's in several different colors. And he gets out, and he is this giant man with a beard down to here. I mean, greasy mechanic. And we start looking and we take the wheel off and he starts looking and he says, well, do you use your parking brake? I said, no, I, parking brake's been busted for since I bought the truck. It's never worked. I said, okay. So he grabs some pliers and he just starts ripping stuff off the truck. It's a little shroud that goes around behind the the, the um, brake rotor and all that stuff get the wheel off get the brake get the brake rotor off thankfully it came off rips all the other stuff off and he's got a spot about this big where he can spin and he can drive the studs out and put the new ones in and of course he had everything sitting on his workbench he'd even brought new hubs that he'd taken off of another truck just in case he couldn't fix it wasn't just the studs so he gets all done, probably 45 minutes later. 
And uh, I said, I suppose you want paid. He says, well, yeah, I'd, I'd like something. I said, well, how much do I owe you? And he gave me a price. I said, well, I said, uh, gold and silver have I none, but what I have, I'll give you. I said, if you'll show me where there's an ATM, I'll, and we'll, we'll go. We got to test drive it anyway. We'll, we'll go. I'll get you whatever money I can get you. I said, I can write you a check, but I'm assuming you'd prefer cash because it's the weekend. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. So we get in the truck and, I, and I'm witnessing to him and I said, you and I, I said, I, I know this has got to be a weird call for you. I left the kids and everybody, Rachel and everybody at the trailer. I said, I know this has got to be weird for you. I said, but what did you think when you pulled up and saw us sitting in lawn chairs counting FedEx trucks? He goes, y'all are crazy. He's like, if that was me, I'd be a mess. My wife would be a mess. Because he understood the danger we were in. He understood that if that wheel came off, we're dead and there's maybe some other people on the road that are dead with us. And I said, God did that. God broke those studs. God got us to stop here and he did it all just for you because he wanted us to meet you. Okay. So I started taking him through the Romans roads and witnessing to him about salvation. He said, oh yeah, I did that when I was about 13. But I didn't, I rode the bus to church and, and I went to camp, but then my parents didn't go to that church and we just didn't go back. And yeah, I'm saved. I said, okay. I said, well, so then I took him through some verses on assurance of salvation and I said, you know, God hasn't forgotten that time. I said, it's not a coincidence that we're here today. There's something going on in your life that you're struggling with that God knows he has the answer for. And he said, yeah, you have no idea. I said, okay. He said, so what are you going to do about it? I got him paid and uh, we got on the road and that was just the first of many things. I wish I could say the rest of the day that I kept the same attitude that I had that morning. Oh yes, I got a massive hug from this guy, and I'm not a hugger, but it, I, it literally, I came up to here on him. I came up to about the bottom of his beard, but we got on the road, and, and I wish I could say that the rest of my day was glorious and perfect, but it just got worse and worse. I wish I could say that my attitude the rest of the day stayed how it had been, that I was trusting and, and having faith in God that he was doing this for a reason. But I got frustrated. We had the radiator, the hose break on the radiator, got it fixed, had, had it overheat again because I didn't put enough coolant in it, couldn't get the, the had the, the strap rust through on the fuel tank that I didn't realize until the next day so I couldn't just put the pump in and let it go I had to hold it and it took an hour to fill a 28 gallon tank and then the turbo went out and we ended up at our final destination at midnight had to back into the parking spot blind the whole trip we were supposed to be there for a week to put up some playground equipment we got one day of work in and it started raining. The church parking lot flooded. 
We didn't get the equipment up. And we had to leave. I wish I could say that I kept this glorious attitude the whole time. But I got down and I got frustrated. But I firmly believe that we went through all of that. Every bit of that we went through just for that one man. The next morning, that Sunday morning, he called me before service and said, hey, I just wanted to make sure you made it all the way. Called me a couple weeks later. He said, you were such a blessing. That we were a blessing to him. He was able to, with the money that we gave him, he was able to take care of a few things. Uh, He's now gotten married to the woman that he was living with, that he has children with, and they weren't married. He's now back serving in a church. All because we almost died. None of what we're going through in life is a coincidence. It's there because either we have corrections to make or because God wants to use us through the situation to reach others. He didn't go through Samaria by chance. He went there on purpose just for this woman. And because of his interaction with this woman, we're going to see next week, the entire village has changed. He doesn't just spend one day there. They want him to stay. It's a stark contrast to the rest of the Jews who were constantly pushing him out of their villages. They were hungry. They wanted him to stay. So this week, as we continue to look at our lives and and see those things that are keeping us from serving the Lord, I want you to also look at those opportunities that God gives us. And they may not always be the wonderful flowery opportunities that we think they are. Sometimes those opportunities that God's giving us and wanting us to work in are the hardest times in our lives. But Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. All things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. His purpose is that all should be saved. He, we saw in John 3 that Christ came not into this world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world may, might be saved. That's Christ's purpose. That's our purpose. is to bring honor and glory to God and point them to Him so that they might be saved. So even in those hard times, let's remember that it's an opportunity. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity. And when we look at, the, look at it that way, it will change the way we react.